All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. I hope you're ready this morning for me to preach. Oh, you're not. <laughs> okay, we're going to stop the service. I'm going to go get another cup of coffee and uh, come back in here because I'm going to preach today. Uh, this message has been probably stirring in my heart for literally 12 years. Since I made the switch from the corporate world, uh, kind of attending church as just a regular person and feeling that call of God to leave the business world and to go into ministry 12 years ago, this text that we're going to look at today, this topic that we're going to talk about today has been brewing and stirring in me for 12 years. And so I'm going to preach it today. I was told uh, earlier this week that I preach like I'm African. The best compliment I ever got in my life because there's no one whiter than me. And uh, that compliment was awesome. Uh, I'm really excited this morning to be kicking off our fall launch in our ministry season. This October, Greenbelt is going to be celebrating 46 years. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's amazing in our day and age. Uh, these past 46 years, God has just continued to do amazing things through this church family, and, and, and things have changed a lot over those 46 years. We kind of do different things, different type of leadership styles, and, and the thing is that I'm the most passionate about is that the truth of God word, God's word must remain the same, but how we do ministry must change if we want to impact future generations for Jesus, we can never love the method. We need to love the mission. Let me say that again. We can never love the method. Methods change. How many of you have gone to a church, one of these older buildings, and you've walked in, and there's like four big giant wooden thrones? In a church. Have you ever seen that before? You walk into this church and there's these giant thrones. Now, today, nobody sits in them. They don't use them for anything, but everyone's actually terrified to throw those things in the garbage. You know why? Because there's a plaque on it. This little gold plaque with someone's name on it who died. And because it was dedicated to someone who we loved 75 years ago that no one in the church even remembers anymore, these big giant wooden thrones still sit there. Now, at some point, these thrones had a purpose. They were useful for something, but that has long been forgotten. But we can tend to, as Christians, guard and defend the method instead of being sold out and completely in love with the mission, which is to go out into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. So we've got to be mindful that we're not a church that loves the methods, but that we are fully sold out and love the mission of God. So we've been doing that here as a church family for 46 years. Tomorrow, my family is celebrating our 8th anniversary here at Greenbelt. And i got to tell you, that just blows my mind that we've been here that long. You don't need to talk about that in any kind of way whatsoever. I still feel like I'm new, and I still feel like I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> but I praise God for your love and for your trust and for the fact that you've been open to all that God is doing as we trust him. My family, we love you. We love being a part of this church. We love seeing how God is working in all of your lives. This, this ministry here is not a one-man show. 
but it's all of us doing this mission of God together. And, and as I've been falling more and more in love with this city, and I'm meeting more church leaders all across our city, is God is doing something incredible in our midst today. We might think that because, you know, we're not a Christian nation anymore, and because, you know, government isn't doing things that we would like as Christians for them to do, you do realize that the mission of the church is not to create a Christian nation. Do you know that the light and message of Jesus is actually brightest in a nation that is far from being Christian? And as our nation becomes what I would call more and more pagan, and I don't mean that as an insult, I just mean that, that we're open to any kind of spirituality, any kind of belief, as long as it works for you, that's just fine. As nations become more pagan, the light of Jesus becomes brighter and brighter and brighter. And we are seeing new churches starting up all across our city. We are seeing people coming to faith in Christ, not you know, at every age, little kids, teenagers, young adults, adults, senior citizens. Across our great city, more and more people are coming to Christ. I believe God is waking up his church in this city and in our nation in a mighty way. And so this text that we're going to look at today, I firmly believe if you would embrace what we teach today and next week, if you would lean into it, if you would fully embrace it, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that you will look back at September 2018 and you will remember that as a date going, everything changed. Everything changed in my life. Everything changed in our church. <coughs> Everything changed in our city. Because we as followers of Jesus were obedient to the call that God has for each and every one of us. So I have been praying for this message. I've been praying for this series. I've been praying for this new ministry season that we're stepping into. And I'm pumped. I'm excited. And I can't wait to preach. So um, last summer, um, I got a phone call. From a guy I haven't talked to in, it's got to be 10 years. So I got, not with a story, it wasn't a phone call, it was a text message. I got a text message from someone and just asking me to pray for them. And again, I haven't talked to this person in over 10 years, so I just kind of asked, well, hey, what's going on? It's great to hear from you. And it just started, like, pouring out. Like, I'm talking text messages. I'm glad I wasn't roaming because it would have cost me, like, 10 cents a line. I would have paid $500 for all of his text messages. And it was just like, could you pray for my kids? And my kids are sneaking out in the middle of the night, they're smoking up, they're running around, they're drinking, the police are getting involved, could you just pray for my kids? And they went on and said, you know what, my marriage is, is not good. Could you pray for my marriage? And, and I'm worried about my job. I'm worried that I'm going to lose my job. And, I, you know, and we're so maxed out on our credit cards and our bills and our financial obligations that I'm not even sleeping at night anymore. And now this was a person that I used to go to a life group with back when I lived in Montreal. And I asked him, so how are things going in the group? Are you still going to it? Who's leading it now? And they go, no, I haven't gone to that in years. I go, okay, well, why, why not? And they said, well, you know, I'm just too busy. There's just too much going on in life for me to kind of make time for stuff like that. I went, okay, well, how are things going at the church? I haven't gotten an update from anyone in a long time from my, my home church in Montreal. What's, what's new and exciting there? Oh, the church is amazing. church is so good. Oh, yeah, what's going on? What's, what's the name of the new pastor? I, I don't know his name. 
You don't know the guy's name. Well, I only go maybe, you know, once every couple of months, you know, whenever it's convenient, whenever, you know, it fits my schedule, whenever, you know, I can get up in the morning. And I'm looking at these text messages, and there's this part of me that feels bad, and then there's this other part of me. (laughs) It's this prophet part, this spiritual gift of mercy that I don't have. <laughs> that I, I believe God has gift, given me the spiritual gift of kicking people in the behind. That's just one of those gifts. Lovingly, of course. And I'm chatting going, well, it doesn't sound like your view of church is working for you. And I wish I would have had this phrase to tell this person a year ago. This is something that I've just learned this year. But I wish I would have told that person to stop going to church. Because obviously church isn't working. Your concept of going to church when it's convenient, going to church when I have time, going to church when I'm not tired, when there isn't other obligations, is the most incredibly unbiblical thing I have ever heard in the 20 years that I've been following Jesus. We as Western Christians, I believe, have bought into a lie. And the lie is, we go to church. The lie is, well, there's this church organization that produces spiritual product. And my role is to attend a church, to go to church in order to consume spiritual products produced by this church. The most unbiblical thing you'll ever hear of. And yet it's embraced in our culture, in Western Christianity, like it's the gospel of Jesus itself. So today I want us to see that your highest calling in life is not to go to church. Jesus didn't die on the cross. Jesus wasn't raised from the dead for you to go to church. He has a much higher mission for you and for me and for this world. And that's what I want us to explore today. Earlier in our song set, Cam read the beginning parts of Psalm 92. And I'm going to continue reading further down from Psalm 92. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up to Psalm 92. Or you can download the church app if you don't have it already. You can follow the sermon outline that way. If you're here today and you do not own a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. You can take that, write your name in it, and keep it. That's our gift to you. If you are watching online, again, the church app, there's a button on there to download a free Bible onto your mobile device. But the text that we're going to look at today in Psalm 92 is not unique to Psalm 92. This theme that we're going to look at today is throughout the Old Testament. In nearly every book of the New Testament, whether it's wisdom books, whether it's historical books, whether it's the Psalms, it's in here. This theme runs throughout the Old Testament, and it also runs throughout the New Testament, whether it's the Gospels, whether it's Epistles, whether it's Revelations. The same theme runs throughout your Bible. It's a powerful picture of God's plan for your life and for my life. It's a picture, a powerful picture of God's plan for the church. 
And I do. I believe. I am sold out to this. I believe if you embrace this with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, it will change everything in your life. It will change everything. So Psalm 92. I'm going to start reading in verse 12. Psalm 92, starting in verse 12, it says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. This psalm here, if you look at the title at the the beginning of Psalm 92, it says that this is a a Sabbath song. This is a song that the people of Israel would sing together as a reminder of the greatness of God and the call that God has on them as people of God. They would sing this as part of their worship on Sabbath, when they would rest from all work and all toil. And Sabbath isn't just simply not resting, uh, sorry, not working, but it's enjoying the blessings of God in your life. God's blessed you with a home, with a family, with children, with grandchildren, with resources. And we can be so busy working that we don't even enjoy the things God has given us. Sabbath is enjoying the blessings of God and enjoying God himself. It's not some legalistic rule to make your life miserable, like sometimes we've treated it. To enjoy this. So they would sing this song. And it starts off here in verse 12 talking about the righteous. And it's important for us to unpack just for a moment, what does it mean to be righteous? Because we live in a culture today where people don't like people who call themselves righteous. Right? Have you ever met someone who walks around saying, man, I'm so righteous? You know, you should be like me. You should live. You should do what I do because, you know, I'm pretty righteous. See, we have a word for that person, and I'm not allowed to use that word in church. Okay? We don't like those people, but it's very important for us to unpack what does righteousness mean? What did it mean for the psalmist in the Old Testament days? What does it mean for us as modern-day Christians? What does righteousness mean? What makes someone righteous? Is it being religious? No. Is it being a good person? Nope. Is it obeying a list of to-dos or to-don'ts? Nope. You see, there was this guy called Abraham. Abraham is kind of known as the father of our faith. He was the one that God looked at and said, through you... I'm going to bless all the world. And Abraham was declared righteous, not by anything he has done, but he was declared to be righteous because of his faith. His faith in the living God made him righteous before God. And we can read about that in Romans chapter 15, and we can, uh, sorry, in Genesis chapter 15, and we can also see this exact same theme play out in the New Testament in Romans chapter 4. That we are made righteous 
before a holy, loving God, not by anything that we do. We are made righteous before God because of our faith. Romans 3.22 says this, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Every single human being has sin in their life. Every single human being has got junk in their lives. And it's not by striving in your own strength, trying to be a good girl, trying to be a good boy, that's going to make you righteous before a holy God. It's faith in Jesus. That he died for your sin. That he offers you new life. That he can make you new by your faith in him. And then the psalmist continues saying that the righteous, those people of faith, will flourish. This is a great word to look at. Flourish. How often do you 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 how you 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 okay, how often do you use that word? This is the second service today, right? Okay, we'll get ready for it. How often do you use that word in your vocabulary? When someone comes up to you and says, How you doing today? Oh man, I'm flourishing. <laughs> Yeah, not often. It's usually, I'm busy, tired, eh, fine, which we always jokingly call the F word in our house. I'm exhausted. I'm broke. I'm overworked. I'm lonely. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. Those are the real answers. But God's word says, the righteous... You, if you put your faith in Jesus, the righteous will flourish. The word flourish literally means to grow or develop in a healthy and vigorous way, especially as the result of a favorable environment. The righteous will flourish, that they will develop, they will grow in a healthy and vigorous way, especially if they are uh, in a favorable environment. Right? The psalm is talking about this. It says that, the, that you will flourish, the righteous will flourish like the cedars of Lebanon. If you actually study about the cedar tree in Lebanon, it's quite fascinating how these trees grow. These are an evergreen tree in the Middle East that can grow to about 130 feet tall. The roots of these trees have a special substance, there's a special sap at the end of the root that can actually burn through rock to get to the good soil. For every 10 feet that the tree grows up, the roots go down and out 30 feet. So a 130-foot tree, do the math. <laughs> Multiply it by, carry the three. Anyway, too much math for me this morning, okay? But this is a huge root system. And when these trees are growing together, these roots actually intertwine together to make them even stronger so that nothing can blow them over because they're holding each other up. <laughs> These trees are flourishing. This is the picture that the psalmist is giving for you. 
Do you believe that in your life? Do I believe that in my life, that you will flourish and grow like one of these trees? We say yes, but the question that we have is how? How do I flourish that way? Well, we need a favorable environment. If you want to grow in a healthy way, if you want to grow in a vigorous way, vigorous isn't slow and boring, taking 90 years to make one tiny change in your life. This is big time transformation stuff. How do you do it? It's by being in a flourishing environment. And the psalmist tells us where that is. It's to be planted in the house of the Lord. The righteous are called to be planted in the house of the Lord. You and I are not supposed to go to church when it's convenient, when we like it, if they sing the way we like, if he preaches the way I like, if the kids' program is the way I like, if the building is the way I like. We were never meant to consume Christianity. Consuming Christianity will not allow you to flourish. If you truly want to flourish in your faith as a righteous woman, as a righteous man of God, you need to be planted in the house of the Lord. See, I talk to so many people who go to church. And even in my eight years here, I have we've had... Great leaders, people who had incredible gifts and talents and ability, and they would serve out of their ability and out of their talents, and they would come on the Sunday when we put them on the schedule, and they don't come on the other Sundays. They're not in a group. No one really knows what's going on in their life, but they've got these abilities and these talents, and, and, and it's just so awesome. And we hold certain people up because of their ability, how awesome they are. And then they, in eight years, I can count, I can't count on two hands the number of people who've disappeared, who've walked away, and not to go to another church, but who are floundering. They're not flourishing because they went to church, served in their ability, never got planted. There's a huge difference between being planted in the church and going to the church. In my eight years here, I have met people who, if you were to interview them, you would never put them in a leadership position because their life just looks like a train wreck. But these people, these men and women have gotten planted here. And their lives are completely transformed. You know, not all the problems went away, but how they're dealing with the problems of life is radically different. We see Jesus working in them and through them in ways that we couldn't even imagine because they don't go to church. They were planted in the church, planted into the house of the Lord. If you want roots that go deep, you need to be in a healthy environment that allows for that. See, Jesus teaches this as well. There's a famous parable that Jesus teaches called the parable of the sower. And Jesus 
tells a story about a farmer who has a big bag of seed and he's throwing the seed out and it's falling on different type of soil. It falls on the pathway where it's like stone. It can't get into the ground and the birds come and they eat those seeds. It doesn't do anything. There's other soil that the seeds fall into and the plant starts to grow for a little while but then the sun comes out and it's too hot and the soil's not giving enough moisture and the plants dry up. And Jesus said that's people that are just kind of choked out by the the temptations of the world. There's other soil where there's thorns, where the thorns of life start hitting us when people start mocking you for your faith. The plant dies. But Jesus says the seed that falls on good soil will bear fruit. Will bear a crop ten times. 30 times, 100 times what was sown. Sown means thrown. Another word we don't use a lot. We need to be planted. If you, in your life, you feel spiritually dry, if you're feeling emotionally withering, if you're easily offended, if you're overly critical, if you're relationally barren, if you're financially stressed... It may be because you are simply going to church. And you haven't allowed yourself to truly be planted. That is God's highest calling for our lives. That we would bear much fruit. I followed up with my friend. Whose life is kind of spiraling. And I talked to him going, how's it going now? He says, you know what? Nothing's changed. My life is still a wreck. But I feel great. Wow, why do you feel great? He said, because I've made my relationship with Jesus my number one priority over everything else. When my boss wants me to work late and it's on the night of my life group, I say, I can't do it. I go to life group. The Sunday mornings when the, the preacher, they have a lot of rotating preachers there, and they actually publish who's preaching, and there's some he doesn't like. And in the past, he wouldn't go those Sundays. That's why we don't tell you who's preaching on Sunday. And <laughs> it's drops. I look at the numbers, people, okay? There's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers, so we look at them here, okay? He said, even if it's someone who I don't like, I'd go. He became planted. Nothing changed in his situation, but his, his life for him has entirely changed because he has planted himself in the house of the Lord to see God work in mighty ways. Now here at, as a church, uh, we really kind of follow a ministry that we call being simple. Like we realize that life is incredibly complicated. And we firmly believe that because life is so complicated, we believe church shouldn't be. We don't want people feeling like they've got to go to seven different things every week, and you've got to go to this, and you've got to go to this, you've got to be part of that, and you've got to do this. We really streamline everything, and we're being laser-focused on making sure that we do the best that we possibly can in three key areas. It's go to church on Sunday. Worship God in the presence of God's people. Get connected in a life group. 
where people can walk with you and care for you and learn what your gifts and talents are so you can serve other people. That's it. Real simple. We've made it so simple. And yet, so many of us still can't get planted. And that's what I want to talk about this week and next week. How can we get planted? Next week, we're going to get into kind of the vision and direction and look under the hood of our ministry and all that God is doing here to help you find a place where you can get planted. But today, I want to talk about what will happen when you get planted. If you get planted, I want to talk about two things. The first is this, is when you are planted in the house of the Lord, the first is this, your roots go deep. Your roots go deep. Again, we see this picture of plants all throughout the Bible. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 8 says this, talking about the people of God, talking about the righteous, those who have faith in God. It says, they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. When your roots go deep, when you're planted in the house of the Lord, when you, your roots are growing deeper and deeper, when the trouble of life comes, not if, Jesus promises us when. And as followers of Jesus, we should probably expect even more trouble. Why? Because the world don't like us. They don't. If the world loves you, maybe they're not seeing Jesus in you. The world despises us. The prince of the air, the enemy, Satan, and his principalities and his strongholds despise us. They want to kill, steal, and destroy. But when your roots go deep, any storm doesn't affect you. Any trial doesn't affect you. The tree might move a little bit, but it stands firm. The root system that your roots have intertwined with other people's roots hold each other up in those times. And the picture that all throughout the Bible gives us is that you will continue to bear fruit. When your roots go deep, you will continue to bear fruit. (coughs) I actually tell people all the time, even though we've made our ministry probably as simple as possible, there's still some times where life is hectic and life is crazy. And I tell people all the time, if your life is so busy and so hectic, and you and out of the three things that we do, Sunday morning, life groups, find a ministry to serve in, if you can only do two, serve and go to a life group. Stop going to church on Sunday. And I say that as the preacher. <laughs> whose job is all centered around Sunday. (laughs) Because Sunday is great, what I call crowd ministry, but it's not the intimate ministry that we want every single person to be a part of. 
we have almost 500 people coming in and out of our ministry through the different offerings that we have. We can't care for people. We can't pray for people. We can't walk alongside people as staff and as elders. We need every single person to be in that life group where there's people who know you. I firmly believe in the church. Again, we need to move out of the mindset that you need to know everybody. You don't. I don't. You don't need to know everybody, but everybody must be known. And the only way to truly be known is to be integrated into a group. In your group, know what your gifts and talents are. Don't just go to the group to consume it, but go to the group and how can I be a blessing here? Maybe I can make the schedule. Maybe I can make the, the snack. Maybe I can lead it one day. Maybe I can sing a couple of songs and we could worship in it. Maybe I could bring some bread and some juice and we could take communion in our group. Every single person has a role that they can play in their group to help their roots go deep. That's why we push this and push this and push this. How many of you have already signed up for your group this year? Show of hands. Raise them up high. Because I'm counting. No, I'm just kidding. I can't count that fast, okay? This is important. We believe that you will grow the most spiritually when you make this a priority. Not once a month, when it fits, when you're not tired. Depending on what's on TV. My favorite team made it in the playoffs. Can't make it. Yada, yada, yada. Get planted. Because I actually believe this. And this is a big idea I want you to remember. Because I believe your life is a seed. I believe your life is a seed. And it either has great potential or it can be unfruitful. Your life, your faith in Jesus has great potential in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in your school, in your community, for the glory of God and for your great joy. Or it can be unfruitful. Well, what is fruit? Well, let's talk about fruit. That's the second thing I want us to look at. So when you are planted, your roots go deep. And when your roots go deep, the second point is your roots will produce fruit. The Bible talks about fruit in two different ways. The first way, um, actually, look at this verse in Jeremiah. Again, just want to go back to it. It says, if your roots are going deep, if you're planted by the water, the roots are sent out into the stream. Jesus said, I am the living water. Whoever drinks from me will never go thirsty. Get planted in Jesus. He says, you will never worry and you will never fail to bear fruit. Never. Never. Our lives should constantly be evidence of fruit. So what is this fruit? Two different things. The first is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When your roots go deep, when you are planted in the house of the Lord, you will bear more fruit. I went through a season not too long ago, where I noticed I wasn't getting more fruit, I was getting less fruit. 
certain emails, certain conversations weren't making me more loving. They were making me less loving. They weren't making me more patient. They were making me less patient. This can happen to all of us. When the world is hitting us, when temptation is hitting us, when trial is hitting us. But when we allow the roots to go deep, we will bear fruit. Always. In your walk with Jesus, if you look at the last eight years, if you think about my first Sunday, and you think about today, Hopefully you don't remember the sermon from last Sunday, because I actually looked at the notes from it. It was pretty bad, and, um, but I hope they have improved a bit in those eight years. Okay? Um, but if you look at that eight years, do you see more love in your life, or is it the same? Do you see more joy in your life, or is it the same? Do you see more peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Here's my favorite, the one we don't talk about all that much, self-control. When we look at the brownies and the McDonald's and the internet pornography, and we have no self-control, it's evidence that the fruit of the Spirit is not growing. Maybe because we're just going to church and we're not planted. That's the first thing. And the reason that the fruit of the Spirit, this fruit that Jesus talks about, that the Old Testament talks about, is so important, is because it's not by our works that God is going to receive glory. It's not, God's not going to receive glory by creating a Christian nation, by building a megachurch. God's glory is seen in the world when his disciples bear much fruit. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 15. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit at work, in your family, at school, if you're a stay-at-home parent in your community, wherever God has called you, it is to God's glory that you bear much fruit. Love, joy, Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's one fruit. The other type of fruit that the New Testament talks about is new Christians. New Christians are what we call fruit. That our lives are reproducing. That our faith isn't just about ourselves. But we actually see people around us being blessed and people coming into the family of God because of the work of God. When our roots are deep, when we're planted, we bear much fruit. One of the numbers that I track, and I track this number because I want to be a church that's bearing fruit. One of the numbers I track is how many people are accepting Jesus. We need to know that number. And when in a year it's one I praise God for the one, but something's off. <laughs> because I believe in the same power that when, when Peter preached and 3,000 people came to Jesus, I believe that same power is at work in the church today. One a year, that's a dying church. 
just natural life and death and people moving away won't survive. I've got about 10 years of life left. So the Father's glory that the church bears fruit. You see, our call in our life is not to go to church. The call of your life, the call of my life is to be the church. And the call in our lives is not to go to church so that we can be blessed. The call on your life and the call on my life is to be the church so that we can be a blessing to a dying world. You see, we, need, we live in a world that desperately needs to know about Jesus. We live in a culture today where we say every religion is fine, as long as you're sincere. Every path leads to God. But Jesus never said that. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And we can be so busy in our lives, so busy in ministry, that we forget that our ultimate purpose is to bear much fruit. Much fruit. Much, ten times, thirty times, a hundred times more. For the glory of God. Because the world is hurting and broken and lonely. And we hold the truth that Jesus died for the sins of the world. You see, before Jesus died, he got together with his disciples. And he took some bread. And he said, this bread is a symbol. It's my body. And he took it and he broke it. And I think this is a powerful picture of what God has done for us. You see, um, I can't put this back together. I could lick it and make it sticky, and maybe it will stay together for a little while. But it tears. Parts of it are falling to the floor. And that was the flesh of God. What he did for us when he allowed sinful men and women to arrest him, to beat him, to whip him. His body was broken. Parts of his flesh fell to the ground. And he did this not so that you and I would go to church. He did this so that we would be made new. That we would become sons and daughters of the Most High God. That we would be joint heirs with Jesus. That the fullness of God would dwell in us and we would be a blessing to the world. That's why we take communion together. To remember, it's not about our works, it's not about our plans, it's not about our strategy, it's not about our methods. But it's about being in love with the one who died for our sin. So we're going to take communion together. I'm going to invite our, our elders and deacons who are going to help distribute this. And if you're here today... And you would say you're a follower of Jesus, regardless of your part of this church or if you're just visiting, you are welcome to join us in communion. And if you're watching online, I would encourage you to grab some bread, grab some juice. You can even take communion with us from home. But I just want you to take a moment and reflect on what Jesus has done for you. I did that a lot this week. I look at my life and my background, and it makes no sense to me that I get to stand here in front of you great people. I have to give all glory to God for every blessing I have, for my wife, for my kids, for this church, for my home. I'm so blessed. 
And it's not by anything I've done. It's all because of what Christ has done. So let's take this bread in remembrance of him. They're going to pass it around. I ask that you just hold it and we'll take it together. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Let's do this in remembrance of him. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took a cup and he said, this cup represents my blood. The new covenant, he called it. The new covenant is real simple. It's God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And it's not by our works so that none can boast. It's all the work of God in our lives. Let's do this in remembrance of him. greatest call on your life is not to go to church, but to be planted in the house of the Lord. To have roots that go deep and roots that will bear much fruit. When we do this, God receives all the glory because love overflows. Joy spreads. Peace is attractive. Kindness blesses others. Faithfulness strengthens our relationships. Self-control builds people up and does not harm them. When we live like that, as true children of the King who died for us, God truly will do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine through his church this year. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and thank you that we can come and worship you in this place. We thank you first and foremost for Jesus that he was willing to die for a sinner like me. We praise you, Holy Spirit, for coming into us, for transforming us, for making us new, for giving us gifts and abilities that we can use not for our glory, but for building up the church. And Father, I pray as we kick off this new season of ministry that you would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine that we would be men and women, boys and girls, who our roots go deep, and that you, God, would bear much fruit in our lives. Maybe you're here today, and, and you're kind of just not too sure about this Jesus thing. And I just want you to know how much God loves you. And I firmly believe you're not here by accident, you're not listening online by accident, that God just wants you to know how much you are loved by him. And you can be brought into the family of God, not by being religious and keeping all of these rules, but just by giving your heart to the one who died for you. That God wants to make you new. He wants to free you from guilt and shame. And he wants to welcome you as one of his children. And you can do that right from where you're sitting in this room or sitting at home by praying a simple prayer that says, God, thank you that Jesus died for me. Thank you. For loving me and making me new. I welcome you, God, into my life today. And if you've done that today, I'd love to talk to you in the cafe afterwards. Or if you've done this online, click that chat button. We would love to talk to you and follow up with you. But as the ushers come forward with our offering today, this is for us who call Greenbelt our home church. If you're a guest, please don't feel obligated to give. This is just part of our act of worship where we give our first fruit, where we give our tithes back to God. 
to see his kingdom come, for him to do amazing work through the church. Not by people who go to church, but by people who are the church. Let's continue to worship.